Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. If I don't know you yet, my name is Graham. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, I'm excited to, to be with you guys here today and see what God's word has for us. Um, we're going to be in the book of Daniel again in our stand series. Um, I wanted to begin uh, just by telling you guys a little bit of a story. So uh, when I was in grade 7 or 8, I think this was, so I was like 12 or 13 years old. Um, don't do the math on that. Um, but I, I went to camp with, uh, with my school, right? Uh, and it was like the springtime in Winnipeg. That's where I, I grew up and where I'm from. So I think all of the, the snow had melted, but it was is Winnipeg. And so in springtime in Winnipeg, it's still pretty cold. Um, so, yeah, we were at this camp and we would do a bunch of things that you do at camp. So we would do like rock climbing and hiking and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the activities that we did uh, was canoeing, right? So uh, I remember me and, and a couple of my friends, we went out onto the lake. And uh, after we had, we'd kind of gotten out a little ways, ways into the lake, and I was kind of over it. Like, I was pretty bored and didn't really feel like doing it anymore. Uh, I didn't really want to paddle. There was three of us in the canoe. Um, and also, I was a little bit of a joker. And uh, I was sitting in the back of the boat, and I had two guys in front of me. And uh, I thought it would be really funny to show my friends that I wasn't really doing any work anymore. Right? I don't know why I thought that was going to be really funny. Um, I was 12, and I was an awkward 12-year-old. right? So anyway, I thought that was going to be hilarious. And so I put my oar on my lap, and, and I said to them, I said, hey, guys, look at what I'm doing. And exactly the same time, they turned around and they turned on the same side and they shifted all of the weight of the canoe onto that one side and uh, we flipped our canoe in the middle of the lake. And uh, like I said, it was the middle of the springtime uh, in the middle of the lake in, in Winnipeg and uh, well, the water was freezing and, and we didn't know how to flip our canoe back over and so we were like calling for people to help and trying to like wade in the water like... I don't know how you, I don't know, swim, swimming terms, what they call it, kicking our legs, doggy paddling, is that, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, that's what we were doing, trying to stay afloat uh, while we were freezing. And uh, yeah, so we had to wait in this cold water while we were waiting for one of our teachers to come and rescue us and uh, bring us back to, to shore. And so he came and, and got us out of the water. We were soaking wet. Um, I remember like one of my friends, he lost his glasses and he was like, super mad at me for like the rest of the week. He's, he's like, why would you do that? And now I don't have glasses. <laughs> like, you're kind of stupid, Graham. But uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> the point of this story was I, I had done something really stupid and I got us into a spot where we needed someone to rescue us. And uh, on that topic, that's a little bit what we're talking about today. So uh, needing rescue, except in our story today, the main characters, they didn't do anything wrong that they, that they needed rescuing, right? They, didn't, they hadn't done anything stupid. Um, in fact, they did everything right, and they still needed someone to rescue them. 
And so we're going to explore that a little bit more today as we go through our text. Um, the main thing that I want to see from our text today, though, is um, that we can stand firm knowing that we worship the God who rescues. So we can stand firm knowing that we worship the God who rescues. Um, if you are new here, we as a church have been going through a series in the book of Daniel called Stand. Daniel's a, an Old Testament book. And if you've missed any of the sermons, you can find them online at our, our website, uh, renaissancemtl.com. Uh, but if you have not been with us, uh, this is kind of what the book is, is about. So the book of Daniel is about uh, these four Israelites, and they were taken from their homes, and they were forced to live in this city called Babylon. Babylon was this uh, huge city, uh, and the, the book, it follows these guys as they live against their will in this foreign land amongst people who should be their enemies. Um, and it also talks about how they're trying to navigate how to remain faithful to God in the midst of everything, right? So that's what this series is about, how to stand firm in your faith in a culture that expects you to conform. Again, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 for today. Um, today, it's going to look a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. That might seem a little bit long, but it actually only takes about five minutes to read through. Um, as we read, I'm gonna, uh, I'll stop a couple of times and, and give us a little bit of context so we don't get lost, and then we're going to unpack what all of this means. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to read it in just a minute. Uh, I want to give us a few points so that you can follow along as we read. Usually what we do is we put the text up here uh, as we read it so you can follow along. Today we're just going to have these points because it's a lot of uh, uh, scripture to read, um, and I, I thought it would be easier to follow uh, the text through these five different points. Um, and so if you uh, don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the, the table in the back um, and follow along there and uh, follow along on the screen with points. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, again, t uh, we'll be in Daniel chapter 3. Um, if you're looking for it in your Bible, Daniel's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. Um, and if uh, again, if you can't find it, or if you, if you uh, don't have a Bible, you can use one of the ones in the back. Um, so, yeah. Uh, here's, our, here's our outline for today. So, uh, first point we have, uh, first thing we see is we see that there's an image that's made. Second thing we see is that there's a choice to conform or not to conform. The third thing we see is uh, these Israelites, they refuse to conform. Fourth is that there, uh, as a result of that, there are consequences that they face. And then the fifth thing we see is that God rescues. So image, choice to conform or not, uh, refusal to conform, consequences to face, and God rescues. And again, uh, as we go, you can uh, read in your Bibles uh, and, and observe these five points. So um, let's read what it says. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth, breadth six cubits. So uh, I was listening to someone this week. This is not my joke. This is his. He's like, this is a translation. Why are we still talking in cubits, right? Nobody knows what cubits are here. Um, if, if you want to know, uh, 60 cubits high, that would roughly be 90 feet tall. Um, 
uh, a typical basketball hoop is 10 feet tall. These are not regular size. But if you imagine like a regular basketball hoop, it would be like nine times that. So it's, that's, that's about how tall it is. So he, uh, he makes, makes this statue of gold, and it says, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent, sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We hear all this list of, of names of people. Um, this basically are people who are in a position of power, uh, some sort of ruler. So you could think uh, in our context that would be like the mayor or uh, MP or city officials um, and that kind of thing. So everyone who kind of has a position of power. All these people, they are invited to come to the dedication of this image. Uh, and keep in mind, uh, we learned last week that Daniel and his uh, three friends, they had been appointed to be uh, in positions in the government. And so this includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, verse 3, it says, Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood, they stood before the image that, King, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Basically, what we see there, the king, he builds this image, and he says everyone has to worship it, or you will be, uh, whenever you hear this music, uh, and if you don't, you're going to be burned alive. Uh, and verse 8 says, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But... If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then this is what he says after he says, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's, a, that's an important uh, question to keep in mind. So we're going to look at that a little bit later. 
uh, in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if, but if not, be it, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bowed, bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not uh, had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, sent, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. He says, Therefore I make a, de a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And my biggest question here would be, does this promotion come with a raise? Because that would be something that would be necessary. How are we doing? That was a lot of text, yeah? But um, I thought it was necessary just because I think um, it helps us understand kind of the bigger picture here. Um, again, here are five points uh, that I want us to study a little bit deeper today as we look at God's word. Um, so we're gonna begin with point number one, um, with the image that is made. All right, so uh, first thing we see here, King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this huge statue of gold. Right, it was like 90 feet tall. Um, and if you, if you weren't here last, last week, then this, the, the irony of this might escape you. Um, so I'm going to remind us a little bit about what we studied last week. Last week, uh, James, he covered chapter 2 of Daniel for us. And in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. If you remember, you guys remember the dream? Yeah, Melody does. So good, Melody can tell everyone the dream after um, the dream he had, he, it was uh, of this huge statue, right? It had a gold head, it had arms and a chest of silver. Uh, the thighs were made of bronze, the legs were made of iron, and the feet were made of clay and iron. 
And in this dream, the king, uh, he sees this huge stone come and it crushes the statue into pieces. And so he had all of his uh, officials try to interpret the dream for him uh, and no one could. And so he asks Daniel, he actually doesn't even tell Daniel the dream. He says, uh, can you interpret this dream? But you, your God needs to reveal the, dr- the dream that I had so we know you're not making it up. Um, and so uh, he asked Daniel to reveal the dream uh, and, uh, and God reveals to him what the dream is. And so Daniel, he comes back to the king and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what your dream means. He says, the head of gold, it represents your kingdom, right, which is the mightiest kingdom of all. And he says, the rest of the sections of that statue, um, we, you know, we saw silver, bronze, iron, and clay. These represent other uh, great but lesser kingdoms uh, than Babylon. And these are kingdoms to come. And then he says, he goes to the part of the stone. He says, the stone, it represents God who is going to come and establish his kingdom, which is far mightier than all of these other kingdoms. And it's going to actually crush these kingdoms. And they're not going to be able to stand against the kingdom of God. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's amazed at this. And he's like, he says, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And what he does is he promotes Daniel and his three friends to uh, some of the highest positions in uh, that kingdom. Uh, and then right after this, uh, just as if he completely forgot the interpretation of the dream, he promptly says, hey, let's build a statue of gold. Okay? That's the ironic part in this. So um, he builds this statue and he says, whenever you hear this music, everyone, uh, they must bow down to this image or you'll be thrown into this burning furnace. Um, if you remember kind of what this book is about, it's about these three guys and they've been taken from their homes, and they're trying to navigate how they're to remain faithful while living in another culture. So right now, they're faced with this dilemma. They're faced with the dilemma of do we bow down to this image or do we worship only our God? Um, We know that these uh, these guys are Israelites, and so um, I want us to look for, for a minute at a few reasons why they should not bow down to uh, this image. So first thing we see in Exodus 20, um, this is actually part of the the Ten Commandments that are given to the Israelite people. So we're going to have verses 3 to 6 up there. Uh, It says, You shall have no other gods before me. This is is one of God's commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I the, Lord, uh, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love uh, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we see a specific command in Scripture not to bow down to idols, Right? We're not to make uh, for ourselves any image to worship. And we're not to have any other gods other than the one true God. And you might be asking the question, why? Why, uh, why is this in there? What's kind of the harm of, of worshiping another idols, right? Even if we don't mean it, like in this case, if, if, 
so your life is threatened, like these guys' life is threatened if they don't bow down? Is it really that bad if we're like, okay, let's, well, we don't really mean it, but like let's bow down just to, um, you know, show respect and, and we'll save our lives, right? Um, and so for that, I want us to look back at the first book of the Bible. That book is Genesis, um, and it describes how God made us. This is what it says in verse 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the whole reason why we are not to make images is because we are already made in God's image. God has already made images of himself, and that is you and me and your neighbor and the person sitting next to you today. Um, We're already made in the image of God, and so to make another image to worship, it doesn't really make sense, right? And keep in mind, when we're talking about uh, images, we're not just talking about worshiping statues, kind of like what we see here. Um, that's not really common in our culture today. Um, but if you remember from the king's dream, what did the, the, the statue represent there? The, the image that, that we saw, it represented the kingdom of Babylon. Right, the rule of that government. And that's what they're bow- bowing down to. Well, that's what bowing down to that image meant. It meant acknowledging that the kingdom of Babylon ruled rather than God. And so when we talk about images, um, you know, in our culture, these images can take various forms. Um, like I said, we're not specifically talking about statues, but whatever takes the place of God in your life, whatever you elevate to a position above God. Um, Again, in this case, the image is representative of the king of Babylon and its rule. And so uh, that kind of brings us to our next point in our text. Um, These three Israelites, they're faced with a decision, do we conform or do we not? Do we conform to what the culture around us is saying or do we remain true to our faith knowing that it will cost us our lives? And so we see the the Chaldeans, they go to the king and they accuse them. They say, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so uh, the king, he brings them in front of him and he reminds them. He says, hey, we have this rule here that you have to worship the image that I made. Um, And if you don't, I'm going to kill you, right? He says, do this or I will destroy you. And so this is what they're faced with. They're faced with dishonor God and live or honor him and die. And and really what this comes down to is the question that they're asked next. This is the question uh, that is central to the text. What what does King Nebuchadnezzar say? He says, uh, first he says, if you do not worship, you'll you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And then this is what he says. He says, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's saying, If I throw you into the fire, who do you think is going to save you? That is what this whole passage has to do with. Who is in control? God or our idols? Who rules? This this question, it challenges the authority and the power of God. Who is your God compared to Babylon? 
Who is your God? Uh, yeah, who's your God compared to Babylon? Babylon is in control. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Babylon is, is in control. Babylon rules. Your God can't save you. That's what the king says here. Uh, and, and really, this is the question that every one of our idols asks us. Who is your God compared to me? Who is your God compared to cultural acceptance? Who is your God compared to lust? Who is your God compared to satisfaction? Your God has no power over me. I rule you. And if you refuse to worship me, I will destroy you. And that may not be a destruction in like a physical sense. Um, it might, but it also might be the destruction of, say, your social life um, or your career or your reputation. So we can recognize our cultural idols because they say, disobey God in such and such a way or else I will destroy you. Faced with this dilemma, what we see is that these three Israelites, they choose to die instead of disobey their God. They would rather burn uh, in a fiery furnace uh, than deny who God made them to be. And that brings us to our next section, which we've called refusal to conform. So um, one thing to note uh, is that their resistance is, is rooted in, the disobedient, uh, in, in disobeying God. That's what they're, they're, they have rooted um, their resistance in. Uh, because they have many reasons why they could resist, right? They, they're uh, in a foreign land. They're, uh, they've been taken from their country. Um, but it's not that their resistance is not because these people are their enemies, right? It's, it's not a, an all right resistance to the culture. What we saw in Daniel chapter 1, Dylan preached this for us, um, we saw that as Jews they resisted eating the food that was given to them because that would have been sinful for them to eat. It was a specific food that they uh, were, were not able to eat because of their, their uh, religious beliefs. And so um, it, they refused to eat that. But it, what it does say is says that they learned the literature and the language. So um, they're immersed in the culture, but they only resist what is sinful to do and what would disobey God. Also notice their confidence before the king. So they start off by saying, they say, oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't even have to answer you. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful thing to say uh, to the most powerful leader in the, in the world who has just threatened to kill you. Um, but what we see is that their confidence is found in God. And it's kind of like they're saying, we don't answer to you, we answer to God. Right? Their decision is based in knowing who they answer to. They don't answer to the king, they answer to God. Uh, they go on to say in verse 17, If this be so, our God who is able, uh, whom, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve you, uh, sorry, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Um, I'll point out something else that's important to, to see here. Notice the nature of their resistance too. Notice that uh, their nature of the resistance is peaceful, right? They're not trying to start a revolution here or change the culture. They're, they're simply saying, we're not going to par participate in this, and so if you're going to kill us um, for that, then so be it. 
right? It's not a forceful resistance, although it seems they should have all the right to protest. This is a, an acknowledgement. Yes, we are, we are not going to do the things that you, that you say, um, but we are also willing to face the consequences of that. And, and that brings us to our next point. Um, again, we see that they're willing to face the consequences for following God. They're willing to die rather than to bow down to the cultural idols. And that's what we are going to see as well, is that when we do not worship what the culture worships, there will be consequences. A culture that does not worship God does not delight when we do, right? And when we refuse to worship the idols of the culture, this is going to cost us. Like I said before, this could be a, a career. It might be your career, it might be your reputation, or it could be your social status. Because when we don't conform to the standards of the culture, there will be consequences. That's kind of why we have this thing now called cancel culture, right? I'm not going to get into all of that, uh, but you, got, you get the idea. Um, anyways, we see that these, inner, these Israelites see that whatever the world will throw at them is worth going through rather than disobeying God. And they peacefully take a stand and they say, we will face the consequences even if that means death. So they're, they're thrown into the fiery furnace and it says that the king was so mad that he cranked up the heat seven times more than it usually would have been. I don't know how you do that in those times. Like if there's not really like a dial on the thing, on the furnace, maybe just throw on like extra wood or I don't know how that works. But um, yeah, it says that it was so hot that it killed the guards and it bound uh, the guards that threw them in. So it was very hot. Um, and uh, what, what do we see next though? We see that God rescues. Right, this is what this chapter is all about. Um, if we remember the, the question that the king asked them, right? he says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who's the God that's going to rescue you? And what their response is, is, is our God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will not conform to worship your gods. Um, so we see that they are in the fire and the king sees another guy in them in, in there with him. He's like, I thought I put three of you guys in there. Where's this extra guy come from? Um, and it says that this, the, the fourth guy, he had the appearance like a, a son of the gods, which is kind of another way of saying he has divine nature. Um, we see later that the king calls this fourth person an angel. Um, so I, I've heard that it could be God himself in the fire or it could have been an angel. Um, it wouldn't be out of God's character to be in, in there with him. Uh, it's, it, it really is a little bit ambiguous as to who this fourth person is, but the point of this is very clear. Whether it was God or an angel, God was who rescued them. God is the one who saves them. And so the king, he brings them out of the furnace, uh, and all the government officials inspect them, and they see that there wasn't even a hair on their head that was singed. They don't even smell like smoke. And then the king, he restores their jobs, and in fact, he gives them a promotion. That's uh, our story for today. Um, and you might be wondering, what does any of this have to do with me? Why should I care about these three guys being thrown into fire and not, for not worshiping a golden statue? Um, well, we may not have uh, the 
cultural pressures to bow to a physical statue, but I would propose that our lives fit into a very similar structure that we see here. Right? Because the reality is, like we talked about before, you and I were created in God's image. We were made to be like him, to know him, to love him, and to rule over the rest of creation. God, he made us in his image, and so when presented with other things to elevate above God, we can say, no, I don't need to worship that. That is not made in the image of God. We are the image of God. Money is not the image of God. Sex is not the image of God. Social status is not the image of God. You and I are image bearers of God. And so there is no need to elevate such things above us. Um, this is one, I was talking to, to Dylan and Juan yesterday actually about um, this biblical truth uh, that we are made in, in God's image. And this is one of the things in the Bible that I personally find like one of the most amazing things ever. Um, I can think of a number of reasons why, but I'm going to give us just three. So one of the reasons why this is so amazing is that we are made in God's image is because it gives us inherent beauty. Right? So to know that we were made in God's image is a really amazing thing, right? To know that we are the only creatures in the universe that God made like him is something that we should marvel over, right? It's a beautiful thing that we are made in his image. Second thing is that this gives us inherent value. And by this, I mean that no matter who you are, what you've done, whether your race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, you have inherent value because you were made in the image of God. So being image bearers gives us inherent value value. And then finally, it gives us purpose. Um, because knowing that we are to be like God, it allows us to pursue his plan and his purpose for our lives. We know what our purpose in life is. It is to look like who God made us to be. So being made in the image of God means that we have inherent beauty, value, and a purpose. So the image part of our story is that we were made to be like him in his image. The fact of the matter is, though, that we do not always choose to bear God's image. If we are honest, when faced with the dilemma of conforming to the world and disobeying God or being faithful to God, we often choose to conform. We're less like uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're actually more often like the king, setting up little idols for ourselves. When we, we face similar dilemmas to these three every day, we may not be forced to bow down to a physical idol, but we are daily confronted with the question, do I conform to the culture if it means disobeying God? And, and when we are confronted with our idols, we have a choice to make. Do I run to this thing, you know, whatever it is, to make me happy, or do I say, no, I am going to honor God. And the thing is that we always have a choice to make. And like I said, this is where our lives, often they look different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because instead of running, or sorry, instead of refusing to conform, we often choose conforming. Um, I was listening to uh, a pastor this week. His name is Alistair Begg. He is um, Scottish, so... Fun listening to 
Scottish preachers, they sound kind of funny, but they preach God's word too. Um, and what he pointed out was that uh, even when we don't conform, our natural habits are, uh, are to fight for our rights, right? We, uh, we want what's fair for us rather than facing the consequences. Um, that's kind of a hard truth to hear, right? We, we try instead of saying, um, I'm gonna, I, I refuse to, ref, uh, to um, conform to the culture. When we say that, what we say also is, but I'm gonna fight for what's mine. I'm gonna fight for the right to do what I wanna do, rather than saying, I'm gonna accept the consequences. Um, and that's tough. So what we say is we try to fight, what it looks like, sorry, is, is we'll, we try to fight the king before we would go into the fire. Uh, and either way we have it, whether we conform or we fight back, what we're trying to do is put ourselves in control rather than trusting in the God who rescues. Um, and this is what the Bible calls sin, and sin uh, has its own consequences, right? except the, the consequences of sin are far more severe than any consequences the world can throw at us, even death itself. The consequences of sin are separation from an all-loving God. It is breaking that image that God made us to be. It is guilt and shame and death, which is spiritual in nature. But the good news in all of this is that even though we sin, God rescues. God is the only constant in this story. Right? When we choose to conform to the world, God is still faithful to rescue us from the mess that we've made if we will turn from our sin and turn to him. God made a way for us to be saved from the consequences of our sin, and he did so by sending his son, Jesus. And this is what Jesus did. Um, Colossians, it describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. Right? It means that Jesus is that image that we are supposed to be. He is God in the flesh, perfect in all that he did. Right? Jesus never conformed to the world. In fact, he was tempted in every way that we are, and he never sinned. He never pledged his allegiance to anything but God. Uh, and he came to earth healing people, and he offered them the forgiveness of our sins. And hearing that, when, when people heard that, uh, they plotted to destroy him because he was putting himself on the same level as God, which to them was considered blasphemy. And he, in that he was offered a way out by denouncing that he was God, but Jesus, he refused to conform. And said he peacefully faced the consequences the world had for him which was death on a cross. And on the cross, he faced not only the consequences of the world, the earthly consequences of dying, but he also faced the wrath of God for the sins of the world. That was the consequences that Jesus took on. And Jesus, he died on the cross. God did not rescue him from the cross, even when he was being mocked to save him. Right? They were... People were saying, come down, save yourself. And God did not take him off of the cross. Um, but God did rescue him as he raised him from the dead three days later. And this is what God did also to rescue his people. 
He sent Jesus to do what we could not do on our own. And when we put our faith in him, he gives us his spirit, which empowers us to be made back into that image that we were made to be. So we can stand firm knowing that we worship the God who rescues. Um, We're going to wrap up in just a minute. Um, Here's what I want us to take with us for today. Understand that God has made you in his image. That's how much he loves you. You have inherent beauty, value, and purpose because of that. Therefore, there is no need to conform to the image the images that culture puts in front of you. Understand that the world will try to destroy you when you don't conform. But the rest but rest in the fact that we answer to God, not to the culture. And understand that whatever the world throws at you, you have a choice to respond. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can confidently say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this. And he will deliver us. But if not, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden images that you have set up. And know that the Spirit empowers us to do this as we put our faith in Jesus. Finally, know that we can stand firm knowing that we worship the God who rescues. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.